Thank you. Greg mentioned earlier all the work that goes into the uh, music portions of the service, and we are thankful for that. <laughs> they work very hard at that. I think it's an encouragement and blessing to them. They enjoy practicing throughout the week, some of them daily, preparing. And I trust that one of my hopes is that some of these songs will get stuck in your head. Um, maybe you'll have a favorite. Maybe you'll have a certain chorus that will get stuck in your head. By the way, if you ever have a song that gets stuck in your head that you want gone, you want it out of your head, a great way, the best way to get it out of your head is just to think of another good song. Think of your favorite song, maybe something that you enjoy from church. And that's a wonderful way to get that annoying song out of your head. Hopefully the ones here in church aren't the annoying ones. I don't think they are. We work very uh, diligently and I'm always thankful when God works out what he's doing through the songs to match with what we are studying. We see that on a regular basis. We're going to turn our attention to God's word at this point. And I'm going to ask you if you would bow your heads and ask for God's help along with me. Precious Father, we look to you as one that is faithful, that knows all things, and that knows us personally. And I would ask that as we join together now to come around your perfect word, that you would allow it to be an incredible encouragement to us. We praise you for your faithfulness thousands of years ago. Thank you for your faithfulness when the church began. Thank you for your faithfulness when the church continues today and for your faithfulness forevermore. I would ask that you would clearly use me as a channel today, that I would not get in the way of the word of God and your perfect message but God, that it would be something that I would be able to demonstrate, communicate. And we thank you that we're not alone in this, but the Holy Spirit is right here in our presence doing his wonderful ministry of teaching. We would pray specifically for that now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Perhaps you're like me and you like to have individuals that are experts on call. Maybe you'll run into a problem in a certain area and you like to have someone who is not necessarily a jack of all trades but an expert of one. This can come up in different areas. It might come up in the area of plumbing. Maybe you'll have a plumbing problem and you'll have somebody that you'll have in your contact list on your phone and you can call and ask a question or even ask them if they're you know, really willing to come and help you out uh, with the pro plumbing problem that you have. It might be in the area of computers. How many of you are thankful for somebody that knows about computers you can ask questions to? I know I am. It might be in the area of cooking. I love when I come across a great cook. In fact, some of you I've approached um, at times and said, what did you make for the carrion meal? Because I'm always wanting to sample at least some of what people who have mastered the area of cooking. I want to I have a little bit of what they have. There are a few different ways that experts can arrive at that position. One way might be training. People might have gotten some good training in a certain area. Another way might be just repetition. Someone has rightly said the mother of all learning is repetition. And there's no doubt that some people are gifted in a certain way. You may watch, you may watch someone do something. Um, I've watched some people do math and I was like, my goodness, they just have a mind that works that way. They're gifted in a specific way. Now, no matter what someone's expertise is, if they're going to take it to the next level, if they are really going to thrive, there are going to be some things that they will have in common with other people who are experts. I can ask this question, what is the secret to success? You might have an opinion about that. 
Some of you might be experts in certain areas, and so you could give some good counsel. This is the secret to my success. There are some good words of wisdom out there. Someone once said, the secret to success is to never give up after failure. Someone else said, the secret to success is total concentration. Here's what Aristotle said. He said, the secret to success is to know something that nobody else knows. That was clever. I was talking to one of our staffers around here this week, and I asked him this question. What is the secret to success, you think? And I was interested to get his response. And he said, well, the secret to success must be in the same place as the money tree, because I haven't found either one of those yet, is what he said. What is the secret to success for us to accomplish something? Or better, for our purposes today, what is the secret to success for the follower of Jesus Christ? Some of us might look to some of those passages in the Old Testament and also the New and understand when we think of the secret to success, even Jesus was approached with this question. Master, what is greatness? Master, what should we be focusing on the most? And if you want to give a Bible answer, maybe some of you might have your mind go right to something that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is good counsel for us. Now, for our purposes today, as we look into God's word, I want to go ahead and give you, if you're taking notes, we're gonna come to these two at the end that are on the screen, but I wanna ask this question as we start. How will God's power be active in our lives and how will it change our world? Two questions. How is God's power gonna be active in your life and how is it going to change your world? I've divided um, Acts chapter 19, the first 20 verses, into two um, sermons, but we've called them both it's God's extraordinary power then and now. And I know that you want to be able to say that you can see God's power in your life. We want to know how God's power is demonstrated. And as we look at these couple of uh, takeaways that we'll cover more in depth at the end, the first one is really defensive, if I can use a sports, sports analogy. A good part of good defense means that we're going to defend against keeping anything in our life. Don't miss this. You need to defend as a follower of Christ against keeping anything in your life that can be an avenue back to the old life. Now, right away, some of you might have something clicking in your head as far as something that was a vice or a temptation or a sin and maybe it's something you struggle with. Maybe it's something you give a place to that can lead you back to living like the old man. Then there's the offensive side of it. Give constant effort to bringing another closer to God. These are a couple things that we can do. I hope you'll see these in our message as we go through this very interesting story in the book of Acts. If you're not already there, turn to Acts chapter 19. And as we look at Acts 19 and go through these next several verses, let me give a little bit of background um, in case you were not here last week. You'll remember that we left off with Paul, and he's teaching. He's teaching in a school. It was the school of Tyrannus. That name Tyrannus meant tyrant, most likely a nickname, most likely not one who was really on Paul's side, but he had some kind of a place where Paul could formally teach. Paul does this for two years, and we find that the, the gospel, 
And the word of God spreads throughout Asia over these two years. It's a wonderful example that we see here. And at this time, as you'll see in verse number 11, there are extraordinary miracles that are being done. Now let me give just a little bit of word about this because everybody's got to figure out where you're going to land on miracles, things that look supernatural, even certain gifts of the Spirit. We've um, referenced this a handful of times. Um, We understood that we would need to come um, to grips with this when we studied the book of Acts. It's important when we talk about miracles in the Bible that we understand what the background is for that. Some individuals think that as we study God's word that there's just miracles um, on just about every chapter or just all the time throughout the scriptures. And with careful study, we learn that this is not the case. The truth is, we find miracles in God's word, and yes, spaced out, but the miracles generally happened in clusters of time, for a certain time, for a certain reason. Right away toward the beginning of the Bible, our minds might go to the exodus and the miracles that took place there. We can fast forward a little bit to the time of Elijah and Elisha and the cluster of miracles that were there. And then we fast forward really to the time of Jesus Christ, going all the way through the work of his apostles in the beginning of the church. As you study this out, I hope you give careful examination to it. I hope you do have an open mind. I hope you do have um, a wonderful resource, not only of God's word, but of good counsel that's around you. I do not want you to approach this lightly. I will tell you this. There are many theologians that believe that miracles were used widely during the days of Jesus Christ for the main purpose of authenticating that message. And even as the church begins here, it was to authenticate the message of Peter or the Apostle Paul. And we're going to find that here right in our text. In our text, not only was Paul doing miracles to validate and support his preaching, but he was doing extraordinary miracles. This should not surprise us because in John 14, 12, many of you can remember when Jesus was speaking and he told his disciples, don't miss this because if you heard the disciples say this, you might really get excited. Jesus told his disciples, you are going to do miracles that even surpass what I have done during my ministry in this world. That's amazing, isn't it? Imagine how excited they would be. And this would come true. And I'll let you be the judge if we see that here, starting in verse number 11 and 12 of Acts 19. Look at it with me. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. So you need to get the picture of what's happening here. During this time of Paul's ministry, I personally think that he had gone back to working as a tent maker. I think he's doing that during this time. And there was a practice in this culture that they would take a break in the middle of the day because of the heat. And it was during that time that I believe, and many theologians believe this, that Paul would spend his time teaching in this school. The school wasn't being used because everyone was taking a siesta. How many of you enjoy a siesta every once in a while, taking a nap in the middle of the day? Okay, well, all right, me too. Um, I love what Ronald Reagan said years ago. I've, I've told this to some of you. Reagan said something at lunchtime. They said, do you want some coffee for lunch? And he said, oh, no, 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 I don't have coffee for lunch. It keeps me awake in the afternoons. That's what our president said years ago. I thought that was great. 
It's okay for you to take a break during the middle of the day if you need to. This was part of their culture because it got so hot. And Paul would teach in the school of Tyrannus during this time, but Paul would also work at other times. And this idea of handkerchiefs or aprons, it really means sweat rags, something he would wrap around his head to catch the sweat. Might be in the apron that he was wearing and he would wipe his hands on this. And you'd be the judge if these were extraordinary miracles of not or not where people would come, and I think the picture is people were coming and actually swiping his headband. Do you think that would get frustrating for him as he's working and maybe hangs his you know, apron up there on a nail and he comes back the next day and sure enough, it's gone again. And as we see him working and we see these extraordinary miracles, as the Bible says, taking place, we learn something. Now, um, if I can say this uh, parenthetically, if you, in your journey for God, have not come to yet learn some names for God, names that mean he is faithful, names that means he is your refuge, I want to suggest to you that God's gonna take you in your journey down a road where you will learn those names. God's gonna put you in a place where you have to say, God is my provider. Nothing else can explain it. Or God is my comforter. That gives a comfort beyond what anybody in this world could ever understand. We learn names for God as we go on our journey after him. We also learn some names for the devil. We do. So for our enemy, the devil, Satan, the deceiver, there's a few names right there. Maybe you're keeping a list. And if you learn about him and learn about some of these names, it will help you. If you've not already added this to your list of names for the devil, let me ask you to include the name counterfeiter. The devil is the best counterfeiter that this world has ever seen. And we understand that whenever God is doing a great work, the devil sees that. And one of the best ways for him to stop that is not to get people to shout against it necessarily, but to sneak in something that looks very, very similar. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 19, something that looks very, very similar as he tries to ruin something. Maybe some things will strike you in a funny way. You'll come across things in this world and it will make you smile or scratch your head, maybe make you say, hmm, something like that. Something that makes me scratch my head sometimes is the evolution of titles that people have given for their jobs. Used to be we had pretty simple titles for our jobs. You know, if you were a secretary, then you were a secretary. It is almost thought of to be a put-down today to call someone a secretary. What do we, Hallmark has given us some good help with this. We don't have Secretary's Day. What do we have today? We have Administrative Assistance Day. That's a better title, isn't it? Don't you think that's a good title? It sounds very good. My father was a technician. Maybe some of you don't know that, but he would remind me on a regular basis that he was a technician. More specifically, he was a floor technician that's what my father was he would let me know more specifically than that he was actually someone who installed carpet and installed linoleum but he was able to call himself a technician he took this title and was able to do what everybody else does build up their resume make it sound like something amazing we find a title here of some individuals in acts chapter 19 we find some itinerant jewish exorcist now i'm guessing none of you had that on your resume all right itinerant jewish exorcist but these guys 
had quite a bit of success at what they were doing. In verses 13 through 17 here, we run into the seven sons of Sceva. They were sons of a high priest, and whether they were genuinely successful at casting out demons or whether they were just tricksters, I personally think it's a combination of the two. I think they had something that they could do, and I think that they used every trick in the book to exalt that. Which, whichever one it was, we might not know for certain, but they were able to gain quite a name for themselves. We should not dismiss the fact that people outside of Christians could cast out demons. Remember the conversation that Jesus Christ had? It was in Luke chapter 11, and they accused Jesus of casting out demons by the prince of demons. And it was at that point that Jesus said, if that's what I'm doing, then with what power do your people cast out demons? So we need to not rush past the fact that some people could um, practice exorcism. It did happen in that day. But these seven sons of Sceva, they had figured out a way to make quite a living in Ephesus. This should not surprise us because Ephesus was a, it was really a collecting plate for the dark arts, if I can say that, for superstition. Today we have some fortune tellers and some people that would maybe read tarot cards and let me encourage you to stay away from those things. While there might be some people that are just tricksters, I would think that that could be a door, a gateway into things that you don't need to be messing around with. We stay away from the occult. We stay away from things that might, mean, might be like dark magic, so stay away from those. These men had acquired quite a reputation. They had some kind of power, but if you're, if you're familiar with this story, you recognize they did not have quite enough power. What they tried to do was they added to their repertoire the name of Jesus Christ. They had success casting out demons, it appears, And now, there's somebody else around named Paul, and he's having quite a bit of success too. In fact, Paul, somebody takes one of his sweat rags, some demons were even cast out. We saw that in verse 12, didn't we? Some demons are cast out just by his sweat rag. Well, I think they would be very open to adding the name of Jesus to their list of things they used, and so that's exactly what they do. Look with me in verse number 15. But the evil, well, let's let's back up a little bit. Uh, Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit, and man in whom was the evil spirit, leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So they try to use the name Jesus here, but this demon did not recognize these men. They recognized Jesus Christ. They knew about the apostle Paul. And I encourage people to read the Bible with a bit of imagination. Do that. It will help you in appreciating the word of God. And as we find this one man who is possessed by a demon surrounded by seven guys, and all of a sudden there is a fight that breaks out. Seven against one. And I think they fought. 
I think they tried. It almost reminds you of a, of a Jackie Chan movie, doesn't it? We're surrounded by seven guys, and they just come at him, keep coming at him, and this guy keeps having success beating them. In the day that we live in, um, we have fighting matches. We have boxing matches. And sometimes there's a clear knockout. There's a clear winner. Other times, we have to have judges to determine who won. Can I just suggest, if we need to stand as judges to see who won this fight, if you start with one guy versus seven guys, and seven guys leave, and those seven guys are naked, let me just say, if we're judging, it's likely those are the guys that lost, right? I mean, if you don't have any pants when you're running away from the fight, you probably lost that fight. That's what happens here. They knew Jesus, and they knew of Paul. It's a different word in the Greek, which means they respected Paul. And now... We are not told that Paul would actually cast out this demon, but he didn't need to because the word of this spread. When they said, we know who Paul is, they had a respect for him. The idea is is that Paul was one who would have been able to cast this demon out, and this reputation spreads like wildfire. It's amazing what God does in his own ways. And I think these guys are extremely surprised at what happens. I don't think this had ever happened before. I think they were standing in a place where they were surprised in a very unfortunate way. And I think it's fair to connect this portion of Scripture with one that we read in a different place and to say there are going to be some people who are very eternally surprised when they stand before an almighty God and, God, and they say to God, did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do mighty works in your name? It's probably fair to say, some will say, did I not go to church in your name? Raise my kids in your name. And for some who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, they will hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. You were never my disciple. Some are in for a rude awakening. I've referenced verse 11 uh, more than once now, and we need to look again and understand that it was God who was doing these miracles. And the Apostle Paul didn't seek after this. He wasn't seeking after um, these kind of miracles. You know, I've had this for over a decade. I got this in the mail a decade ago. This is a, what someone called a prayer napkin that someone sent me. And there's all kinds of instructions here on what I can do to get something supernatural that happens. And I've been waiting for 10 years to preach through Acts 19 to talk about it. That's all I'm going to say about that. I never did mail it in. Um, I don't think I missed out on any kind of a blessing. And I don't, want to, I don't want to mock or downplay the Word of God in any way. I've asked you to be serious students of God's Word and looking at these things. So that's the challenge to you. Having said that, I want to remind us that the Apostle Paul never went after marketing his aprons or his handkerchiefs making money off those. I think there can be some good people that have great intentions and maybe that, you know, are very, very sweet, but automatically when I find tied to something like this that appears to be supernatural, when the world or even believers find tied to that some kind of a request for money, that's, that's, that's really putting us in a spot where we have to defend something that we likely should not have to defend. Because whenever God does something, the devil will counterfeit it. So we need to be very careful about that. I do think that with the church, you know churches, oftentimes specific churches, they have great stories they talk about for years to come. 
Maybe you get together with your family um, every once in a while, Christmas time or some other time, and there's always those half dozen stories that come up. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe you're the one that's embarrassed in one of those stories. But that story always gets told every time you get together with your family. Without fail, they always talk about that time when you did this or they did that, and you all laugh about it. I think this story about these seven guys was a story that this church talked about all the time. I think that when they went out to Wendy's after the service there, they would be sitting around and say, man, do you remember when those guys were running through the streets naked? I think they talked about this all the time, giving glory and giving praise to God. And verse number 17 gives us something that is key with this when it says, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon all of them. Let me just say that when we study what fear is, the right kind of fear, fearing God, we get into our hearts, into our lives, a practice of fearing God in the right way, but also along with that comes the idea that there are some things that we do not have to fear. When you learn what you have to fear in this world, you will recognize what you don't have to fear. And this is a beautiful place that God allows us to come to. I think that these guys... I don't know that they quit their business of being exorcists, but I think they, they thought twice before using the name of Jesus in the future. Can you imagine if we lived in a day today where people respected the name of Jesus Christ in a way that they likely respected that name of Jesus Christ? And we find something that happens here. Look with me in verse 18. Also, many of those who were now believers, so catch that, they were believers confessing and divulging their practices and a number of those who practiced magic arts and brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all and they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So we find here some Christians who were living in this town that was dominated by the dark arts and by so many things. We find that these Christians come to a place where they give up something something that would have been a very easy path to go back to the old life. And it took God doing something wonderful. And I want to also suggest this. It took somebody stepping out and being bold. Nobody likes to go first sometimes. You know what I'm talking about? I've been in services before where there's a testimony service and we say, who will be first? Nobody wants to go first. So some guys cut right to the chase and say, okay, nobody wants to go first. Who will be second today? People don't mind going second or third. Let me encourage you with this. There are some believers that surround you that just need a little bit of a nudge. They need to see you being faithful and being bold in what God is doing in their lives. These were some that were holding on to some things and God is patient with them. And you might think to yourself, my goodness, what are they hold? This is what they're holding on to? Evil spells, the dark arts? How could God be so patient with them? Well, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because hopefully you can connect and understand how patient God is with you and with me. Do you believe God is patient with you? Yeah. Those things we don't even utter out loud sometimes. And God knows them and he looks upon us and he's patient. We find a book burning going on. We don't push this. This is not the thing that we want to really strive for. 50,000 pieces of silver. This was, as a couple different commentators said, worth 137 years of salary. This was a lot of money. 
And so some might be thinking, couldn't they have sold those to people around who would have bought that and maybe built themselves, you know, new church building or, you know, something else? They wanted these things to be gone. There's a public demonstration of their faith, a bold statement. And if you want to read ahead, next week we'll be talking about the impact this made in Ephesus, the impact that it made on what really, really affects people, and that's their pocketbook. You start messing with somebody's wallet, that's when they get excited. And next week we're going to see how this affected the major industry of worshiping the goddess Artemis and what took place there. Today there are some Christians that need to be bold and step out, have courage in their hearts. And let me just, I think we've got enough time for me to go over a couple different words. Just a little bit of extra for us. We're talking about God's power And there are some words that go hand in hand with studying God's power. They're similar words, but they do mean different things. Let me give them to you if you're taking notes. We remind ourselves that one of the attributes of our God is that God is sovereign. Our God is sovereign. This means he has everlasting power. To be sovereign means, talks about God's raw power. There is nothing in this world or anything outside of this world that is not under his control. That's one word that we think of when we think of God's power. But another word that we think of is the word providence. The word providence is a little bit different than sovereign. Because the word providence means, yes, all of God's power, but it means God's power for us. Him working out what he's doing for you and for me, it means that we have a heavenly father who cares for each one of his children. And so let me ask, do you believe that you have an everlasting, unbeatable, all-powerful God that is using his power for you? Because I want to suggest to you that's exactly what he's doing. He's working those things out for you. Verse 20 can be a theme verse. Oftentimes, we see at the end of a certain section them giving some kind of a line. And verse 20 is beautiful where it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And I think that's very, very important because there's a lot of supernatural things going on here. And verse 20 says that they give credit to God's word continuing for a couple reasons. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail. All right, I said we come back to this with what can you do? First of all, um, and defensively. I want to encourage us to defend against keeping anything in your life that can be an avenue back to the old life. This is very practical. You know where you struggle. We've listed some things here on the board. You know where you have problems. You know where you might hold on to something that can lead you right back into walking in a way where you're not a follower of Jesus. I can give a few illustrations. I... um, I've played basketball for years and years. I had a mature, wonderful Christian man that would come and play basketball. And as he would come and play basketball, he had a real struggle with the area of anger. And when you get into a competition like that, and basketball can be a contact sport sometimes, I saw on more than one occasion him just about ready to throw down and step outside. In fact, he said those words one time. You and I are going to have to step outside if you keep guarding me that way. I was able to see this man go from a place where he stopped playing basketball. And right away, some of us might think, well, that's too bad that he couldn't get victory over that sin. And that's too bad that 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 had such a hold on him. Well, maybe you can't understand how much anger 
holds on to some people. And I think he was dealing it in a way where he was not giving a place for that area where he struggled, not giving a place for the devil. He stopped playing ball. Maybe your area is the area of laziness. You're going to have to be very much on guard with playing video games. You're going to have to be on guard with television or other ways that might lead you into a lazy, slothful lifestyle. Maybe there might be a struggle with lust in your heart, what you put before your eyes. I had one friend years ago, and he would not go into a video store. You guys, you young folks don't know what video stores are. We used to go into stores to rent videos, what we used to do. He would not go into a video store because of all the pictures that were there and the place that that might tempt him. He would go to the library where there was no pictures and things. That's where he would get the videos from. That was how he handled that. You're going to need to know the triggers. Every one of us is different. Maybe you have somebody that knows you well. Maybe uh, your, your spouse or maybe someone close to you that can help keep you accountable. But you need to know the triggers of what would lead you back to walking in a way that doesn't reflect a follower of Jesus Christ. That's the defensive. This is what's going to help us see God's power. And then let me go over the offensive. And that is giving constant effort to bringing someone else closer to God. And here's how I'm tying this right to our passage the impact that our world needs to see and the impact even of the Apostle Paul here, the impact was not on the handkerchiefs. The impact was not on the aprons or even the exorcisms and it wasn't upon we're going to have a yearly book burning. That's not what they were focusing on all the time. But the impact came from the change that came from the gospel. When the gospel changes people's lives, this is what will help the word of God strive and grow. And this is what our world needs to see. How can you do this? Well, first of all, you need to have been changed by the gospel. Not just know the gospel. You need to have your life changed by the gospel. It defines who you are. And then you need to care enough for someone around you to help them find that change. I don't know what that might be. It might, be, it might mean giving them some literature that has a gospel presentation on it, a gospel track. It might be inviting them. I think the, the church is a wonderful tool for evangelism to bring people in where they can be exposed to the message of Jesus Christ. It might be having a Bible study with somebody. Let me tell you the easiest one that I don't think I've ever had anybody reject. I've had people reject others. But if you tell somebody I'm praying for you, just about everybody that I have encountered will say, thank you. Something comes up, something hard, a struggle they're going with, going through. If you say, can I pray for you? Even stop right then and pray with them out loud. Let them know I'm praying for you. I told someone that this morning. I said, I've been praying for you this past week. And it's amazing what that means to the believer, but also that can be a great inroad for people who do not know Jesus Christ. These are some different ways that we can know God's power. Now, as you go from this place, I know there's some mixed emotions with this because some of you are thinking, okay, I'm hearing you saying that the big thing, the more exciting thing, and the more um, successful thing is the gospel moving forward, and that's how we see the church grow. But some of you are, think, are still thinking, man, I sure would like to see a little, a little napkin maybe healing somebody or maybe something supernatural going on. I would suggest this to you. Keep your eyes open for those what I call God stories. Those God stories in your life that nobody could convince you it is anything other than God being involved. Watch for those. And then please, 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 
Share your God story with somebody around you. Go to someone and say, let me tell you what God did this week and give him complete praise and credit for that. If our eyes are open to what he is doing, we will see these supernatural things. And the best part is, is you and I get to work hand in hand, partnering with our wonderful God as he uses us through channels of his power and we see him do something that only he can do through his agents and that's you and that's me. This is how God will show his power to our world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is no doubt that we get easily distracted with things like this. We might be ones like the seven sons of Sceva that want to uh, take something supernatural and just kind of use it as a uh, connection. You take something that is um, miraculous and use it for our own benefit. I would pray that you would please allow us to see the greater things, to see you working miracles in our own lives and our own hearts. God, you are so good to us and so patient with us and allow us to see that miracle of a soul coming to you, someone giving their life to you, how much good it does my heart to hear people say, they'll name somebody's name that's following Jesus and say nobody would have ever thought they would be in church today or following God today. How wonderful and patient and loving you are to work your perfect plan. And thank you that we get to be encouraged by seeing your power in that way as well as in our own lives. With heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around, I'm gonna ask the piano just to play through just one quiet stanza of a song. I wanna give you a chance to pray today. If you would be willing to just pray and talk to God, maybe you're not a follower of God. Maybe you've been pretending. Maybe you're not sure. You can ask God to save you even where you're at. Because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, you can be forgiven. Ask him to save you today if you've not done that. Maybe you need to be bold. Maybe you need to step out. Pray whatever God's led in your heart. Talk to him now about that.